Hey, this is Elia Einhorn. Welcome to the TalkHouse podcast. Today we have a very special edition shot live at the Sono Store, 101 Green Street in semi-sunny Soho, downtown NYC. This is an edition celebrating New York, celebrating Sonos's birthday, and celebrating the release of Lizzie Goodman's new book, Meet Me in the Bathroom, Rebirth of Rock and Roll in New York City, 2001 to 2011, out now on HarperCollins. Lizzie is our guest, Joining her, we have Kit Malone, he of TV on the radio and Ice Balloons. We also have Brian Chase of the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs and Beach Creeps. Now, the book includes interviews with over 200 people. There's Vampire Weekend, LCD Sound System, the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs, the Strokes, all of the names you know. There's also managers, groupies, models, movie stars. To kick this off, let's have two people who lived it. Hey. <laughs> Hello. Hi. What's Hi. up, guys? How's it going? Pretty good. Yeah. How, yeah. How are you? I'm good. I was just looking at Thurston's tape wall and thinking about cassette tapes and uh, the passage of time. So you know, that's all. Yeah. Just a little contemplating of uh, from real music to real. History. Yes, from real to real. That's good. How are you, Kip? I'm good. Good. Um, so I, I I wanted to talk at the beginning. I think I'm very interested to hear about what you both are working on. These days, we're in New York City, the 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 sort of epicenter of um, culture in a lot of different ways, and certainly the epicenter of the beginning of you guys' musical experience, at least as far as many people know. But what's there's there's sort of a there's sort of the tendency to look backwards. But what about looking forwards right now? Like what's going on for you creatively these days, Kip? Oh. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I've been playing with my friends in a band called Ice Balloons for the past few years and someone's putting out an LP for us in August and that's exciting. Yeah. Um, Who? Who's the someone? Who's the mystery someone who's putting it? <laughs> You're not going to tell us? It's a secret. It's a secret. <laughs> no, okay. it's a label called Volar. Okay. It just, the way you said it made it sound like really, you know, secret in a way that it oh. made me want to know immediately who you were talking about. Oh. <laughs> That's a good tactic to try to practice, but I'm just slow. yeah. It was accidental. Yeah. It was accidental. Okay. Yeah. Um, cool. How did you? How long have you guys been? It's been a few years, but how did? What was the inception of this creative project, and what makes it like? How do you know you have a thing that is now a new band or a new musical entity? Oh, I, it's funny. It doesn't feel new to me at all, <laughs> but uh, it. But it's still s super fun. Um, my my friend Sean Kennerly mm -hmm. started it. He's had a, a ton of bands and plays in a bunch of bands, and he wanted a, a performance or oriented band with no guitars, and uh, so he invited a bunch of friends. and It's been kind of modular, and in that in the, there's mm -hmm. been a bunch of different people associated with it, and um, especially on the side of like. The, like whether it's like the performance like dance side or the uh, like a uh, electronic noise side, you can switch people in and out. Cool, kind of modular. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, so it also just stays new that way. But also because you know, it's it seems new compared to a relationship. That's been like fourteen years of TV <laughs> on the radio. Yeah, right. Yeah. It's relative. It's, it's all relative. relative. Yeah. yeah. 
No, I didn't mean exactly that it's new to you, but that like, how do you know? I'm always interested in like, we're sitting here having a conversation about a project that you're doing, but I'm always interested in the moment where you realize you're doing something new whenever that was, you know what I mean? Like, because I think it gets, by the time you're telling somebody else about it, it's already formed in your mind to a certain, mm-hmm. oh, I'm doing, I'm working with my friends on this thing, or this is something we've done, but there's sort of a, a backing into uh, the existence of a new band in the first place. I remember when we were talking for the book about the IAS about how it was sort of like they were doing a show and Karen called you at your mom's house to be like, hey, we need a drummer. And it's like, So I guess that's the moment when you join the band, but like you don't know it at the time. It's only later that you're sort of like, I guess I'm in a band now or something. This sort of, I'm interested in that. Like if you're an actual musician, which I am not, how you know when you've sort of hit on something that's going to belong to you in a certain way, um, if that makes sense for anyone. When 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 does something you're working on become like, how do you know when you've when you've sort of struck on something that you want to keep going with as opposed to just like one night at someone's house where you picked up a guitar with them for a second? I, I think <laughs> that you can that there's like a corollary to the feeling of like dating. Whereas like <laughs> Please tell me more. Oh no, I mean like chemistry. Like chemistry. Like, a, like yeah, sometimes yeah. you might hang out with someone and know that like you don't want to, or that like that that or that there's just no realistic future yes. between you. Yes. And then other times you hang out with someone and you're like, huh. I want this really it's a relationship. It's like, you know, So in, is in like second yeah. band practice like second date? Like what are the sort of rules of, of what are <laughs> is uh, it possible to map that out? Well what like, came to mind was, you know, like uh yeah, I, I agree with that <laughs> in a lot of ways. Yeah. That's yeah definitely as you know, uh you know, in, in regards to chemistry, but uh, also in terms of work, you know, because I was yeah. like, there's like a lot of great ideas, you know, and there's a lot, like, a lot of chemistry out there, you know, but also um, to develop the ideas and to d- develop the chemistry that takes like a lot of work and patience, um, you know, mm-hmm. to see it through the different stages. And then like as it grows, it's really exciting and you kind of get to new levels and then you, know, you kind of feel where it's at and like, where's it going to go and how do we nurture it and, mm-hmm. and all that. And like, so it does feel like a relationship. So it's chemistry ways. and then it's what you do with that chemistry. And, and also what happens live. Uh-huh. Like that's a yeah. good test. Totally. Yeah. And how you feel about it even if it's terrible. Uh-huh. Yeah. Why is, yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah. explain. Uh-huh. I don't know, do you, do you feel that way ever in regards yeah, yeah. I mean, because that, that's like the moment like that like holds it accountable, you know, for like whatever it is, you know. So, And then it can go like any number of ways. Like sometimes it's going to be great and sometimes like it's going to be tough. And and then even when it's tough, that doesn't mean it's not good. You know, it's just Explain like... Explain that. <laughs> so like if you have a bad live experience, but how can that, like talk me through how that could be a good sign or like a sign that you're, it's not time to break up, you know? Like why is that not bad inherently? I mean... It is. It's inherently bad. It's, it's <laughs> public humiliation is inherently bad. But, but if you are, if you, if everyone still feels like doing it more after that, that's a good. That's a good sign. Veering quickly. Yeah. Is this an S and M relationship that we're describing? This pants uh, thing. This there's a the, bunch of different dynamics. There's apparently. A bunch of no, I mean, I, I'm thinking of the idea that, like, you know, they 
that no that bad press is the same as good press to start that logic of like if you if something is a car crash on stage or I mean I'm not a musician I don't perform live so I don't know this but like uh I just interviewed Trent Reznor right and he was saying that his that all he really cares about on stage is that people don't leave feeling neutral about it and and on some level I think that he doesn't leave feeling neutral about it. So if it's a total shit show or it's amazing that there's still a kind of reaction happening um, that is valu- potentially valuable even if it's terrible. So that's what I thought you meant. But um, maybe you're just talking about a kind of humiliation <laughs> that is, you know, worth returning to if everyone agrees. Yeah. yeah. I th- That's interesting to hear the feelings of Trent Reznor. I think that that band's really great live. Yeah, I think no that your band is really great life. Uh, some of the best shows I've ever seen in my life were your AAS shows. Oh, wow, thank you. I think your band is great <laughs> live. What about <laughs> my band, you guys? Yeah. The band um, that I'm not in, but will form one day. No. But not to like turn it into a circle jerk or... Well, but, though, but can, what, do you, re, like, what's... Do you remember a, an early AAS show that you saw that you loved? Like, what... They took us out on the road. Yeah. Like, we... We'd let we'd played a couple of gigs outside of New York City, and so and uh, one of those was a terrible show in Chicago, opening for the Fall. Okay. Just, just terrible. Oh no! <laughs> Tell us just, more. Just terrible about- to the point that like some stranger like saw me like having a nervous breakdown in the corner in the in the uh, empty bottle. And she, to comfort me, she was like, it wasn't that bad. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Which is... Wow. Yeah, that That's means, all she could muster. That, yeah, that okay. means it was, as that was, I had a very clear picture of what had happened. But, uh, and so, you guys still persisted. And you still persisted, yeah. yeah, yeah. And, uh-huh. and you guys took us out. I remember that. I, think uh, I have a poster from us at uh, Beachland Ballroom, I think. That was a super it? fun, uh-huh. that, was a, that was a wild night. Um, but just seeing... Just seeing them command rooms that seemed huge mm-hmm. to me at the time. Yeah. Like, and like, I don't know. Is that it, how it felt to you? It felt super fresh and alive. And like, like regardless of, like, n- n- like want to say with modesty, that like none of us are, we're reinventing the wheel. Like it's, uh-huh. it was rock and roll. It's rock yeah, and yeah, roll, yeah. you know? Yeah. But uh, you guys... Had a very unique uh, dynamism, and it was incredible to watch. It was super inspiring. I was like, oh, I want to. I don't. I don't want to just play to the noise crowd. I want to see what else can happen. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Th- yeah. Those are exciting times. I think you know. You know, new for all of us. You know, just like yeah, playing these like you know bigger stages and uh, you know like different crowds. You know, and everything. Yeah. Did did you do you remember those shows as feeling like you could command that room like, or I mean you know what I mean like when you're the person actually doing that it might seem like you're able to do that to an outside observer but maybe it doesn't feel that way but maybe it did I mean yeah. how did it feel in the tour that you're describing like were you aware of Yaya's power at that point? Uh, well you know we were learning you kind of like <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah. <laughs> On the job. Learning, Learning on, on the, the job. job. Yeah, definitely. Yes. Yeah. Rock and roll. So, and that's what tour is for. It's yeah. uh, on the job experience, experiential learning. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. It's an internship. It's a rock <laughs> internship. Your first tour. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, 
yeah, definitely, yeah, going through it, you know, for the first time and, you know, feeling it out and, uh, and uh, yeah, amazing to do it, you know, with, uh, you know, with close friends, you know. Uh, I don't. I feel like you guys were really good. I'm. I'm scared. I want to talk to this woman who had to comfort you and find out really like, how. You know, I've, 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 I've believe, never seen TV believe, on the radio I perform poorly. In, I'm proud of the work that <laughs> TV on the radio has done together. I feel like we I, like need I, a couch I'm, of some Like head. I'm proud of it. I'm proud good. of it, and I and I like. I, I and I and I think that our filter is different from other filters. You know. For what rock and roll is, yes. Um, but and and I and I feel like when 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 we're when we're killing it, like it feels great. But we're, we're, we definitely <laughs> don't always and and haven't always. Like you know, I like we have a, a a pretty good track record. But like the the bad the bad ones really stand out. Okay, that's just. What do you think your average is? Like if you know, what's your oh, average? I can't do that because I, I don't have a math or sports brain at okay. all. <laughs> yeah. Say that, that you've played in total ten shows as TV on the radio. How many? Thank of you them for breaking it down to a. This is really sad. If I have to do. <laughs> I'm a person who leaves just you know whatever number comes to my head on every I chance. Know. I can't do. The I would math. say seven out of ten. Seven out of ten. That's a very low C. High D. I don't think like, we need to like, apply it to like okay. that kind of standard. I'm just, yeah. we're, the 10 is a loose a metric that has nothing to do with school or grades. Okay. Let's not even go there. Um, seven out of 10 is good. In yeah. baseball, that would be very good. But then, I don't know if you've had this experience, but like, it, and I don't know, we need to stay in uh, this topic of conversation for the entire time we're talking definitely. But like, yeah. where you maybe have are on like a I don't know a very long tour, and at a certain point, you're kind of over it, and you're like maybe feeling guilty about phoning it in, and then someone <laughs> comes and tells you that it was like a, a religious experience for them, and like you have to trust. I don't know, trust people aren't chasing me down as a stranger to tell me a lie, so I have to believe. I have to trust that that's their experience, you know. Yeah, and at yeah. a certain point, so like with. Yeah, that's amazing how that works. Sometimes you just like never know. You're like, like, wow, that was great. That was amazing. And then you listen back and you're like, well, I don't know. But then like, you're like, wow, that was the worst show. And then so like, yeah, it's people are like, whoa, that was like the best show. Yeah. It's like I don't know what's going on. Their religious experience is your like, when can I get off this stage and go home? Moment. I guess I don't know what that means about the universe, but yeah, that's why you do it, I suppose. Um, that could happen. Your shittiest show could be someone's religious experience. You have to stay open to that. Well, that yeah. goes and, back uh, to yeah. Trent's uh, thing. Oh yeah. Trent's thing. Uh, will, yeah. will forever be known as Trent's thing. Yeah. 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 Making music is uh, uh, a group activity, kind of. You know. So, <laughs> you know. So it's like you know whatever like the individual contributes to the whole, it kind of gets like mixed in. You know, with that pot with everybody, and then uh, you know, so maybe everybody's like you know combined energies really make it mm -hmm. something special. So. Yeah. Speaking of combined energy, tell us what you're working on these days. Uh, what I'm working on. Yeah. Let's see. Yeah, there's a, f a few things. Uh, uh, coming up for August, a uh, thing that stands out for me is a bunch of shows happening at the Stone, and awesome. um, the Stone is the club run by John Zorn, yeah, kind of legendary composer and saxophonist, the hero of yours, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, definitely, yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, yeah, and um, it's pretty amazing. So I'm playing with like with some really special people, like yeah, like some uh, yeah people. Tell that, us, tell yeah. us who you're playing with and how you got connected to them and. Uh -huh. Tell us about the shows. 
Uh, well, I guess uh, on Monday, which is July 31st, I'm playing a, a benefit for the stone, uh, which shows features Zorn himself, um, which is amazing. Uh, and then on Wednesday, I'm playing with, uh, with Zena Parkins, who's, um, who's a harpist, an electric harpist. Okay. Yeah. 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 She's been like, uh, yeah, another hero of mine, like on the, you know, on the improv scene, experimental scene. You know, she's, uh, I think, came, you know, sorry, like, like coming out in like the 80s or so, like maybe, mm -hmm. yeah. And um, uh, she's so unbelievable. Like, like her style and like her playing and just like, you know, command of the instrument and, you know, her, her vision for it. You know, so, uh, yeah, so I feel, like, you know, really honored to, you know, to be playing with her. Do you yeah. play every day? Uh, I, um, I'm involved with music <laughs> almost every day. And, uh, yeah, and then, yeah, uh, and there was a time where I was practicing every day, uh, but that's kind of, like, ebbed and flowed a little bit. Ebbed yeah. and flowed a little bit. Yeah. That's interesting. I just, because yeah. it feels like you have so many different sort of, I don't know, tell me if this is right or not, but it feels like you have a lot of different sort of channels that you plug into creatively. And I'm, I'm interested in how you sort of, like, obviously you have come from a sort of conservatory background and, and, and a kind of, um, the, the role of, of learning an instrument was like done in school and to some extent and then also not. I'm just interested in how that affects your process in terms of staying connected to whatever you're making at the time. Like if you're sort of, I know some musicians that kind of go to the office every day. It's like yeah, I yeah. do, especially drummers, um, yeah. just to stay, I don't know, um, limber is the word that's yeah. coming to mind. But um, I'm interested in that process for you. Like what, how much do you need to stay to con connected to what you're working on and how does that change if you're working with Yaya yeah, yeah stuff or with other projects? Um, right. Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah. Well, a lot of it depends on, you know, what I have going, uh, you know, with like my schedule and different projects. Cause you know, my schedule, you know, like, you know, the, the kind of, my projects kind of come in waves, you know, so there's like one thing that's a peak thing and then like that'll subside and then another thing will come up. So that'll uh, influence my work schedule and where I, I I focus my energies, you know, so uh, there'll be a time when, um, you know, where it's more about playing. So I have to, you know, like, so I'm really excited about, you know, developing uh, as a drummer and musician and that's kind of uh, endless, you know, and I'm a huge, uh, you know, jazz fan. So I constantly kind of like going back to that tradition is like, you know, always inspiring, inspiring me to you know, move forward. And um, uh, yeah, so and then there are times when, you know, I'm like working on more like, like post-production, like editing music stuff. And so it's like, you know, like, you know, and um yeah, and then like New York's also amazing because it's like a home base for so many different music communities. You know, so for like experimental stuff, for jazz, for rock, you know, for like sound art. Um, so you know, it's all kind of happening here. And then you know, and then you know, uh, so so living here and being kind of like tapped into the different music communities, uh, you know, just you know keeps giving back. Uh, yeah. So when people say that you know New York is, I don't know, burned out that way right now, that doesn't resonate for you, like. Uh, or does it? I mean, well, uh, it depends. Uh, yeah, I feel I always feel like there's so many like like layers happening simultaneously. <laughs> right. Uh, so uh, New York always has amazing music and art going on. Like no matter what, like it's it's always there and it can always be found, you know. But from some perspectives, uh, it's not there, you know. So I think because uh, I think, but I think in those cases, people are looking through uh, like a, a more you know, with, with a more narrow, narrow scope, mm -hmm. you know, so if people, you know, expand or kind of like shift a little bit to like one side or the other, then, you know, they'll find great stuff going on. Yeah. You have to look, what do, do you live here? Do you live here full time? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's okay. We can say it. Yeah. It's like, yeah, yes, yes, I do. Um, and how do you feel about the sort of tenor of the city creatively these days? Um, I think that I, 
I don't know that I, I have the best gauge because I'm less willing to to really dig right now. I, I also feel like it's like an age thing. If it, when when I was in my early twenties living in San Francisco, my level of responsibility was so low, and like what I could survive on was so minuscule that like I didn't need a budget to make <laughs> records or to paint or yeah. do photos or work on film projects with friends. It was just like I had all the time in the world. I only had to work a couple days a week. I didn't eat like equal amounts food and drugs like and like and the drugs were free cuz why were the my drugs mother free cuz my mother raised me right, right. um <laughs> <laughs> you were a hustler i just you know you don't want to i i always felt like you never want the number for a connection cuz you don't want to <laughs> rolls by kip <laughs> it was don't a, do it math was a, it was a way never learn the number of your connect don't do math don't do math I mean, meth, don't. But um, don't, actually. That's not a joke. Also yeah, yeah. don't. Also don't. It's the one um, thing, too. Yeah. Actually the one. Actually the one. Yeah. Uh, but and I, as I get older, regardless of the city, like, my level of energy, fighting it as much as possible, but, like, <laughs> inevitable, like, cynicism of what I've heard that before. Yeah, sure. Uh, which I really, like, is a poison but it's a real thing that you have to I have to fight to not get jaded yeah um and then also just like I have I have a kid I have like my and my time also is like my level of interest is like expanded and I'm looking at different things and paying attention to different things and but I see all that to say that, like, I'm sure that there's still things happening here, but also the city is a morally expensive and yes. it's in no way looking to support create artists. Like, it just, it's not interested. Yeah. That's really yeah. a good way of putting it, yeah. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, I mean, do you think that was true in 2000? I mean, when did you move to Williamsburg? I moved to Williamsburg in 2000 from yeah. San Francisco. And I, th- <laughs> I remember being like, uh-huh. $350 for a room? Are you crazy? Because that was so expensive? That was expensive to me <laughs> in uh-huh. 2000, which is, I can't even. It wasn't even that long ago. It's it crazy. I know. Okay, sorry. We're all going to just cry um, now. But but, uh, but I mean, the, the moral part of it, the, what you just said is really astute. And is that, I mean, because I think that's, of course there's this narrative. It's part of social cultural theory that like, the city is a city, the city, the theoretical city, whether you're talking about Paris, you're talking about London, or you're talking about New York, is always going through exactly this cycle of like upswing and downswing creatively. And money is coming in and money is going out. And these these things are on some level patterned, right? Like it's not supposed to sustain itself, the, the sort of uh, bubbling up of an underground culture forever. It's supposed to cycle that way. But the... There, it also seems like our era has something a little bit different about it. Um, I think, and it sounds like you were kind of saying that. I think, bit. I think so. I, I mean, I only have this life yeah. to, to judge what it do by. We compare it to and it? I, and I, I'm not a historian or, or well read in in th- theory in regards <laughs> in to that. Theory. And uh, right. uh, but it just. It seems like it's accel- it's accelerated, and 
and com- completely just some I, just like a big blind pig right now like, <laughs> like New York a big blind pig okay that yeah. like does that isn't like and yeah yeah it, it's it's amazing to me that people are able to have the time to like that aren't rich to support themselves and make creative work like it's very daunting yeah it's very daunting is time the real commodity do you think like is i mean for either time in, in place place yeah yeah totally yeah yeah having like a you know an affordable workspace you know for music yeah. or art now is uh yeah. it's hard to come by I and mean, really hard you know and yeah, I think you know back you know back in the day, you know, like uh, you know Williamsburg was and like you know Greenpoint, you know, like those are like places like safe havens. You know, it's like okay, you know, we can, you know, we have space to room, you know, and you know room to work, you know. But now it's like, you know, it's hard, you know, it's just like getting you know displaced and like moving further and, and further out, and it's, it's all spread kind of wide. Yeah, yeah it's. And then you're like, uh, like, forced to make the decision if you're going to participate in the gentrification and displacement of communities. Whereas, like, I feel like there's something about Williamsburg. When I moved there, I was like, is this Wheeling, West Virginia? There was just, like, all this <laughs> totally. industrial space, you know? And, like, you know, we we chose to put up studios and performance spaces in, like, in uh, abandoned or, like, recently vacated industrial spaces and, like, you know, soaked in all of the toxicity of that and everything but like we it wasn't really a, the same as like going to Crown Heights or Bed-Stuy yeah. you know like it, it was a, a kind of like and not because we were m- m- more ethical it was just like that was <laughs> let's be that, clear that, that, was, <laughs> that was what was available in that moment and that's where things were centered but like space is so important like like just I don't think about like some of the warehouses that were going and, and like I remember seeing shows at Happy Birthday Hideout mm-hmm. when I when I came to New York and and the um, free radio on oh, right. on Sussex Street uh-huh. and like if you don't if you don't have places that aren't strictly about capitalism or aren't strictly about alcohol like yeah. which is you know capitalism um, <laughs> anyway but. Capitalism's favorite drug, alcohol. Yeah. Yes. Um, it's it's hard for people to gather and for things to organically coalesce. Like, you, that's why I think a lot of people are, or I mean, in, I, I, every time someone says it out loud, it makes it less so. But like Los Angeles becomes, like it has there's space and for people to and to neutrality do that. and neutrality that yeah. sense of blankness in a good way, yeah. I think. Yeah. I mean, you and I have talked a lot about venues in about, I mean, venues is a loose term even for what we're describing, but early Brooklyn sort of, uh, you know, a room with some walls around it in which important creative things were happening and how, I mean, in particular, I know during the reporting of the book, um, I think I had probably my most interesting and, and in-depth conversations with you about those 
those sort of special magical like pockets of space. Um, can you talk a little bit about what some of the, what some of the places you went to and played in were and why they were valuable in the way that Kip is describing now? Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah one of my favorite places uh, was a building called uh, Mon- Monster Island, yeah. which was on uh, Metropolitan in Kent, and it's uh, since been demolished. I can't remember when. Maybe like I don't know. Off the top of my head, I'll say like 2010 or something, but uh, I don't know, give or take, yeah. Yeah. Uh, And then, yeah, there was uh, three floors. The bottom floor was um, uh, was a venue uh, that yeah Todd P often booked, you know, so like bands would play there. And there was also Oneida's practice space. yeah, they're a practice and recording space, and yeah, they did a lot there. And uh, yeah, I'll take this time to give a shout out to Oneida, you know, because like as far as like uh, you know Brooklyn music, I think they. haven't gotten as much credit as they uh, as they deserve, because I think you know when you know all the you know the bands were coming up in two thousands and uh, yeah, and so and uh, Oneida was doing it you know in the late nineties and everything and I think they were like for me like they were you know the band that really got uh, you know the Brooklyn DIY scene uh, on its feet you know with like with venues and and uh, and bands and shows and um, they also worked with this. Uh, promoter team called the Twisted Ones and the yeah. Twisted Ones were like uh, you know uh, yeah uh, you know we're like, we're like you know big folks putting on shows you know like important shows like in the first half of the 2000s um, yeah so uh, yeah so Monster Island had yeah Oneida's practice space and then uh, yeah. then also on the second floor it had um, you know on the ground floor it had Secret Project Robot uh, which was um, yeah an important gallery space and they also did shows and when Yeah Yeahs did our 10-year anniversary, uh, we are, we're, one of our two anniversary shows, we did it at Secret Project Robot. Um, and then on the top floor was K-Rock screen printing. <laughs> and then K-Rock did, uh, you, know, this, he, you, know, the, um, you know, the printing for all, like a lot of the posters and bands, you know, for, you know, in Brooklyn. Uh, you know, so, um, so yeah, so that was like, um, yeah, pretty special place. Yeah. 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 The capitalism part. I mean, I think one of the things that strikes me when I think about that era is just how the, part of what you need is a physical location where n- nobody really cares if illegal things are going on. <laughs> like mm-hmm. that's as basic as it kind of gets. The, just in terms of what are the sort of ingredients that you need to allow for kids to have the space to misbehave. I mean, part of what when you it's easy to say, oh, money, money is this has this sort of bleaching effect on a community and like, yeah, okay, but what about it? And one of the things about it is regulation. Like just that I try and think about what it would be like to be in some of those just totally, I mean, I'm not, I'm, I don't, there are other ones that I'm thinking of more in particular, but like shows I saw at places I couldn't even find again that are just like, what were, and the floor is collapsing and it's sort of like, there's literally no stage and it's not really a house party because it doesn't seem like it's somebody's house. But what even was that? I mean, in the East Village, even, I remember going to stuff like that. And it's sort of just, whenever I look back on that at 20, I didn't care. But now it's sort of like, why can't that happen right now? I'm sure it is happening somewhere and probably in this city too. But part of it is like someone would notice and and call the government (laughs) and be like, you can't do that here. You know, I think that's, um, probably a very obvious thing to say, but one that comes to mind when I think about how, you know, because in promoting this book that I've written, everyone keeps asking me, is New York going to come back? And like, what has really changed? And I don't know the answer to any of that really, but that's one of the things that comes to mind is like, nobody was paying attention to what we were doing in quite the same way that it feels like people are now. But maybe if I was 20, I would 
be like, that's hilarious that you like grown up old person think that. Cause I hope that's true. I hope someone is like watching this and thinking, wow, that girl sounds really old and out of touch right now. That would be like a huge relief to me. You know what I mean? Like, do you guys have people coming up? Like, do you have younger fans coming up to you and talking to you about when you hear from, from, from people who are fans of your work in any capacity who are living in New York now who are trying to be artists in one way or another or who are artists and are looking for space, what do they say? Do they say it's going well or do they say they're struggling or is it mixed? Uh, I don't know from the perspective of like people that are fans of TV on the radio, but I, I feel like a lot of those folk see, are, became cognizant of what we were doing by way of broader more established media channels and purveyors. And so to them, I think it's locked into some idea that's also like mixed with like America's Got Talent kind of (laughs) vibe or something. I mean, it's like not not that exactly, but like, well, it's just like, (laughs) like some kind of like, if someone comes to, it comes to know you now inside of, I don't know, like, there's some, there's a bunch of, like, to me seeming less organic modes of getting to be a musician, you know? Uh-huh. And uh, I feel like that's, a, a lot of people have come up w- with that if you didn't have access to a scene or something, you know? Like, like a physical a, scene. A physical scene, yeah. yeah. And, uh, and, and also just the nature of, like, where, where music is, I'm, I'm, Talking out of my ass right now, just to be totally <laughs> it's sure. Going but like, very well. but this I is mean, what I, I feel like. You know. It really seems to me like if you, if you are if popular music is like a producer making beats mm. on a laptop and someone singing over it, like it just doesn't require the same. Mm. It doesn't require the same infrastructure, yeah. or community, and like that, and that's. Uh, I feel like there's a lot of that, and a lot of a lot of people that I talk to are that say that that's their yeah. that's their vibe and that's their vision of that they have a um, marketing plan before they have like a an organic relationship with another band member or something yeah, like that. Because yeah. I also like something that like from my perspective, and I know that there is definitely people with grander ambitions than mine. But like, what was happening? What I saw happening was like, this is great. This is super fun, but like, I, I didn't think that it was going to be whatever it, whatever it was like, <laughs> and I don't think most people that were involved in it thought like saw that it was like going to become something that like labels and different things were going to start like farming and like, and that we would be like dominating the festival circuit. Brooklyn right. would be dominating the festival circuit for a stretch of as years as like an and idea, like, as an idea, Brooklyn and bands. like, yeah, and and because we'd all come up with with I don't I'm speaking for a, a varied group of people, but like inside of like indie scenes mm-hmm. and punk rock scenes, and like not like it wasn't about that. So it's it's like it, it's almost like happenstance that it turned out that way. So it's it's hard to. Another to explain that to people that didn't have that. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, th- I think yeah, Kip, you know, brings up an, a really crucial point, which I think kind of like sums up uh, a lot. You know, is um, yeah, that 
that like delicate line of like self consciousness, you know, because like uh, you know at the time, you know, we're you know, well, the main point of all of this really is like is the music, you know, and like and for oh, like yeah, that, it's for people yeah. to like have fun making music and for for people to be you know original and independent, you know, and to do uh, you know to do their own thing, and um, and to do that, you know, and it's like you know looking. You know, back now, you know, uh, you know, there's this notion of like success. You know, so it's like you throw that in the equation, and then you're like, what? You know, it's like it's kind of like antithetical to your produ- creative productivity. Yeah. Um, so, but for me, it's like you know, but but now we can kind of talk about it, uh, and I think that's what's what's cool about your book is is it really shows the link between uh, you know uh, you know like all of our bands kind of doing what we doing what we want to do, making new music for the fun of it, and. Um, and then kind of showing how that path led to, um, you know, breaking, you know, through to wider audiences. And yeah. it's pretty remarkable. And, and, you know, each band has cool. its own story. Yeah. And, um, and it's amazing to read your book and, and to, um, you know, and to know each band's uh, personal histories. And, um, you, you know, so, uh, yeah. Yeah, that uh, was a cool part about reporting it was realizing that sort of almost unbeknownst to each other, like whether it was the DFA kids or you guys or you guys or Interpol or whomever that independently all these people that might have known each other from being in bars together but basically were not in the same scene, so to speak, as one another. We're all independently going, it's boring here, nothing fun is going on, we need to make there's that famous notion that begins all great art, which is like, I want to hear something that I can't find, so I'm going to have to make it myself, right? And so, I mean, what was really exciting when I was doing all these backstory interviews with all these people whose work I'd loved, but didn't, had never sort of attempted to put together that way was like, wow, they were all saying that. Like Karen was saying that, you were saying that, you guys were saying that, and these, just that sense of whatever was shared it's not a, a, the scene that arose from that, whether you agree that it's a scene or not, isn't a scene because everyone sounds alike or had a shared sort of all-owned marquee moon or whatever it is that's supposed to be the sonic reference point. It's an ideological and aesthetic unity of this is not good enough. New York needs to, New York itself is a an idea that we have to populate on our, even if it's just for like three friends <laughs> in the case yeah. of what you usually are expecting. And I think, one of the things that is different, and we we aren't saying it, but it's the elephant in the room, which is like how internet culture has changed all of this. Another thing that Trent said, Trent's getting lots of shout outs today because he's brilliant and really fun to talk to, but he was talking about how when, um, when the label system, when he sort of first had the idea, like he's been involved in sort of helping Apple figure out how to launch their streaming site, and he'd always been kind of interested in that, um, even in the mid 2000s or whatever, it was like, people are going to be streaming music. Like, and he remembered thinking that he was talking about how, when he left the major label system or left Interscope and sort of the traditional sense relationship that he had with them, that there was something kind of weird about that. Like it was sort of like that within the, the structure of the label idea, this, this world that we'd all come from a kind of indie versus mainstream, a kind of like, there's the man and you're supposed to be kind of against them. And like your label is your high school principal or something. There's this sort of the, the ways in which like, are, even the sort of countercultural identity was sort of sweet and John Hughesy that way, where it's like, your enemy is your friend because they are putting, they, they stand for the thing you're supposed to be against. So weirdly that tells you how to be you, if that makes sense. Like that tells you what category you fit in. And one of the things that's interesting about what you just said is that it seems like bands 
I mean, the whole expectation of success now exists for everybody. Like there's a theoretical idea that if you're going to play guitar in your bedroom, you know, you don't, you no longer, as opposed to in our immediate era, and again, I'm not a musician, but you no longer have that sort of system to inherently keep you in your place in a way that maybe ultimately frees you, if that makes sense. Like, you know, it's possible that whatever, like some, some scout that isn't even a label scout anymore might email you and say, I want, you're a genius and nobody knows that. Whereas I don't think that was the case for bands forming in our era. Like you knew for the most part, you probably weren't going to be on the cover of Rolling Stone. And, and, and there was an inherent sort of like, um, identity politics rejection of even the idea of that based on making something for yourself. That's kind of long-winded, but, um, I mean, thoughts, does that sound right? Yeah. You guys are the actual musicians. So, I mean, did it feel like success was a possibility and is part of what we're talking about here, the loss of that? Like the idea that now success is inherently a possibility so that sort of levels the playing field in maybe a bad way, identity-wise or ideologically? Thoughts? <laughs> it's... it's I definitely, I definitely like to, in all honesty, when I heard the roughs of the Young Lars EP and like the process of it being recorded, I was like, oh, this is definitely going to please more people than the abrasive stuff that uh-huh. I am interested in making yeah. and making right now. And so like it was when, when I got invited to play with TV on the radio, I was like, well, this is something that it was clear to me, just like this has uh, a chance at, at like a more widespread success than a lot of the more out there stuff that I was doing. Um, hats off to Iran and Fall in Love, two of my favorite musical projects ever. Um, hats off. Um, but. Uh, B- Com- but it, did it feel commercial it felt like, to it you? It felt more commercially viable than, you, yeah. than, than anything I had been engaged in before. But it also like sounded like something that I thought was great. I thought yeah. that Tune Day's writing on the Young Lars EP was some of my favorite lyricism that I, totally. that I had heard of any contemporary. So I was very excited to like engage and write with. And, but was and there be, a part of you that was like, well, wait. I am not a person who's in like this is this is a risk on some level because it might be liked by too many people. Was, yeah. Yes, but then yeah. also like I don't know. It, it's it was also exciting to be doing something that was like I also like have in my mind the idea of like what was for our generation classic rock and like mm-hmm. popular rock. There was definitely like garage scenes in the 60s and and like what you know the VU wasn't considered at the great band that they were when they were making music but there was also popular music at that time yeah. that was good music you know <laughs> like we know who Nina Simone was because Nina Simone played around the world and was celebrate a celebrated musician yeah. like we know all there's so many like the Coltrane like like there's like so many things that were like pushing the, the boundaries of of what was like popular music that so the idea to me that like something could I didn't have the thing in my head that like you something like ew or yeah I had it a little bit but like I also knew that it's possible to like do something psychedelic and real mm-hmm. and 
and have it be something that a lot of people got to hear, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I don't know. I don't know where that... Well, well, <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Brian. Well, okay, yeah. yeah. No, well, that's that's pretty amazing about you know about it being yeah like like psychedelic and real and like people hearing it you know because I think that's like because um, I was I was thinking about this today and um, you know thinking about the time period you know and like you know um, you know like yeah yeah it's TV on the radio and um, you know like you know you know the bands you know uh, you know from from your book and you know about the idea of it being uh, you know like more like. You know, uh, you know, accepted by the you know, you know the mainstream, you know, in, in a way we're more popular. I wouldn't even say we're popular, but like, but like on the popular side, we're on, you know definitely alternative, you know. Yeah. Mm. You know, but uh, you know, I, I like to think of it in the broader sense of like from the perspective of uh, of the general public, you know, and how like you know the you know the general public like really feeling like you know like ready, you know, like like uh, you know being like thirsty for. You know that you know, like you know, these yeah. kinds of sounds like something like you know psychedelic, but you know also fitting into you know more of like you know like you know like like you know and more like a pop context, more like song structures, and you know having you know you know Karen as like a you know you know like you know really strong character and like a bold woman like you know like right there you know it's like so people like like thank you you know and like how that was kind of happening on a larger scale was was really awesome. And, uh, that hunger yeah. for something to be less boring was not just localized to like, the, I mean, it turned out obviously, evidently that a lot of people were feeling the need for that in a way that has played out. Um, yeah. And, and sorry. To no, no, yeah. please. And I think to go back to your, your questions of like, of like success, you know, and, and I think that kind of comes from, uh, uh, you know, you know, people's perspective and where they place emphasis on, on themselves, you know, like, uh, yeah. You know, like, uh, you know, I mean, it's crazy with like social media, you know, like everything feels so much more accessible today. You know, it's like you have all of your favorite, you know, uh, you know, pop stars on Instagram and like, you know, and like Twitter, you know, so you can, it's like, it's like so close and so far at the same time, you know, and, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, so it's like, you know, as, as like a you know young musician, it's hard to, uh, you know, to figure out like one's place in that, I imagine, you know, but, yeah. you know, but if the emphasis is placed on, you know, like, you know, success and following, you know, trends and, and all this thing, you know, that's, that's a very, uh, that's a very dangerous road, you know, in a lot of ways. So, but I, I think what, what really like stands out, you know, for, uh, uh, you know, for, you know, like, you know, Music, you know, with like integrity is like, you know, is like that that connect that connection to one's own self. You know, really connecting to like a, you know, a deeper place and you know something you know that has, uh, you know, values that really, um, you know, that speak up in a good way. You know, I think that's you know that's why I love in Yaya's music is you know it's, you know, it's like kind of like you know that that passion you know that we have and we really love what we're doing and you know but you know at the, also at the same time being like really excited you know musically you know by the sounds that we're making and. Um, and all of that, you know, and, um, yeah. you know, and the same thing, you know, with TV on the radio, it's like, you know, like, you know, sonically, it's like, you know, you know, so in- interesting, and, you know, and the songwriting is, is so good, and, like, everything is, like, um, uh, yeah, like, you know, really smart and passionate, you know, so. Uh, yeah, uh, I mean, uh, as a fan of both bands, just going to shows when I was young and did not work in this industry at all and didn't have any of that, like, what I remember thinking is, I mean, especially with Karen as like a woman on stage was like, wow, she needs to be here doing this as much as I need to be here doing this. Uh And I think that is 
important <laughs> somehow. You know, it's it's what you're talking about, about where's the inception for this really? Like, where's it coming from first? Is it coming from an expectation? And when you inherently know, this isn't a knock on younger artists, because like when you inherently know all day long from visual cues from the internet and all kinds of things about how something could be received, it warps, it inherently gets into that process. Like I knew Karen just, she had to do this, you know, yeah. it was like, or or she couldn't live, you know, and that's how I felt, you know, I and so it felt communal in that way. And for TV on the radio too, for sure. Yeah. Those early shows just blew you away. Um, yeah. Yeah. So it's and like, the later ones, but <laughs> especially when I was that age. But Yeah. No, it's weird. So like we were talking about communities because that's essential because I think, you know, like you know, like in your book, you know, you were talking to it's all about community, you know, yeah. and just like being part of a scene and how that leads to other things, you know. You know, so, but it's weird now that there is this like internet community and it's like <laughs> online. So, you know, but uh, there needs to be like a heavy filtering process, you know, with that, you know, I think, you know, so because, yes. you know, pe- people really need to stand out as, as individuals. So it's like, you know, so some stuff that, you know, you know, like people here is going to be good, but a lot of stuff is not, you know, so I think, you know, that's, I think, you know, it's easy to get, you know, Overwhelmed, yeah. Yeah, overstimulated and uh, kind of understimulated at the same time. Yeah. yeah. Cool. <laughs> I'll just <laughs> sneak between you guys and, and, and awkwardly this? perch. Again, I'm Elia Einhorn, host and producer of the Talk House podcast. Kit Malone, Lizzie Goodman, Brian Chase, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, here pleasure. At Sonos. Thank you for having us. I have one question. Um, if we could just get a quick answer from each of you. So, so much of this conversation was based on these sort of, uh, to use a cliched term, the sort of heady days, 2001 to 2011, that you focus on in, in Meet Me in the Bathroom. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and sort of the magic that was there. And, and we touched upon these, these issues that have become very, very serious in New York City life. And when I say New York City life, I'm including all five boroughs here. So uh, gentrification, a huge issue. Uh, the, the cost, just the financial cost of living here, a huge issue. But I want to ask you guys, as New York lifers, what keeps you here? Brian, we'll start with you, man. Uh, well, uh, for me, I'm uh, you know definitely involved in a lot of you know different music scenes, you know. So uh, especially especially for the experimental stuff, you know, this is uh, you know kind of like home base, yeah, and uh, yeah, and also um, yeah, so you know, and family too, so yeah. I live upstate now. <laughs> So I don't live here But anymore. you told me you're coming back. I think I'm, well, I think I'm probably moving to LA. <laughs> See, when you said that, I'm just like, for the reasons you said, I mean, I moved upstate because I couldn't hear myself here anymore. But I will say in, I don't know what I'm doing in most ways, but I will say that I, I think um, my relationship with New York has been vastly improved by taking time away from it. So like now when I come here, which I'm here all the time, I really enjoy it and I do feel inspired by the city again in a really uh, a genuine and sort of like easy way. So, um, you know, I'm never even, I mean, everyone who lives in LA that I know, they all still think of themselves as New Yorkers who are sort of like temporarily living in Los <laughs> Angeles for a decade, you know, so that could be me. Stephen Merritt of the Magnetic Fields just, you know, moved back a few years ago after six or seven years out in L.A. and said the exact same thing. Yeah. <laughs> Kip, what keeps you here, man? I have, uh, a, I have a teenager who is uh, in school on the East Coast, and that's why I moved here in 2000, was 
because I was having a child with someone who was not coming back to California. <laughs> and uh, But <clears throat> my teenager is almost grown and I don't know that I'll, that I'll stay. But I will say that um, I, I feel safer in New York City than I feel anywhere in the world. Uh, definitely anywhere in America. Um, there's, there's, even even as my neighborhood gets like f- f- uh, financially and racially monocropped, uh, the the rest there's still so much of Brooklyn that is like international communities mm-hmm. and like. I I don't want to. I don't want to get in the mindset that there's no other place, because <laughs> like, it's very easy as a New Yorker to think that this is the center of the universe. I know that happiness and community is is available, and the potential for that is available everywhere. But uh, especially right now, with the political and cultural climate of this country, uh, New York City. Yeah. Hey, fucking man. (laughs) Listeners, watchers, make sure you check out Beach Creeps. Make sure you check out Ice Balloons touring the States and a few European dates, I believe, coming up uh, just next month. And make sure you read Meet Me in the Bathroom. So much of what we've been talking about is in there, and there is so, so much more. Happy birthday again to Sonos. Thank you so much to the flagship Sonos store for inviting us here to celebrate their one-year anniversary. And I just want to say this. Companies like this are really keeping shit awesome here in Soho. If you want to come check out some records, come down here, 101G. This is the room where we've recorded talks with Kathleen Hanna, Meredith Graves, DJ Premier, Prince Paul, The Flaming Lips, Wayne Coyne, Todd Barry, Chris Gethard. You can check all those out on the TalkHouse's YouTube channel. You can catch us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Just catch us. Thanks so much. 